You're listening to the Church of Life and Praise podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, please visit us at churchoflifeandpraise.com or check us out on Facebook. Our prayer is that you would come to know Jesus in a deeper way. Now, enjoy the message. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here tonight and so excited about the opportunity. And um, I, I just cannot tell you um, that worship tonight was phenomenal and um, took me back to my roots. Turn with me, please, to John, the first chapter. We are in such an exciting time in the body of Christ. We're such, it's, it's, it's such a, a perilous time. And if you ever read the book, The Tale of Two Cities, it starts out with, this was the best of times, but it was the worst of times. And so you, you look at that dichotomy in the world around us, and we see that on some hands, this is the worst of times. But if we focus in on the body of Christ and what God is starting to do and how this new era is opening up with such uh, incredible action, we realize that, oh my goodness, this is also the best of times. And when a new era in God begins, it begins, and what it does, the way he explained it to me, is that it brings in all the things from past moves, because it's not a new season, because new seasons in God do not draw a timeline, but an era in God draws a timeline, and God drew a timeline. And he's talking to us about this is a new era. So with a new era, that's so exciting because what he does is he restores things that it were in previous moves. And then he takes us to a different place. And he takes us to a more advanced place. And as this era is going to unfold, we're going to see everything that he's bringing to pass that's new. But new just means we're going to go back and pick up something that was lost. And one of the things in this new era that he's making me understand is that this new era is going to look like the book of Acts. And in this era, he's going to raise up personal accountability. And what he means by that to me, is that he's talking to us about personal responsibility. And we're going to get away from the concept that everything is done by a few. And God is going to start moving among every person and say to us, it's a time of personal accountability. It is a time of personal responsibility. And the power of God is going to be birthed in the church again, not through a few, but through every person. And we get there in a series of ways. So if you'll turn with me to John, the first chapter, I'm going to try to cover this ground as quickly as I can. There's one thing that Jessica will tell you. Um, Deanna said to me yesterday, you're, you're free. You have all the time that you want. And Jessica's face turned bright red. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Bright red. Because that's like taking me to a candy store and saying you can have everything you want. <laughs> And so what we're going to do is I'm going to try to be respectful and I'm going to try to do this. But this message is so alive inside of me that I'm I'm going to do the best I can to take this as quick as I can. But this opens up with a man named Andrew. 
And Andrew has already taken that first step of separation. Now, we don't realize that. We don't think about Andrew that way. But he had already taken a step of separation. He was Peter's brother. They were a fishing family. They had many boats. They had other fishermen under them. And Andrew had separated himself, basically, from that enterprise to follow John the Baptist. Now, I can see Andrew's father. I don't think Andrew's father was really pleased about that. Because John the Baptist wore camel's hair, ate honey and locusts, and lived in the wilderness. Come on. And John the Baptist did not know how to be politically correct. And so he would look at the scribes and the Pharisees, and he would say, you're whitewashed sepulchers. One time he's preaching, and he said, who told you people to come out here? And get saved anyway. Who told you to come out here and get right? He just wasn't politically correct. And I can see Andrew's father not being tremendously pleased that Andrew was now following around with a man in camel skin, eating locusts and honey, and being politically incorrect every day of his life. So Andrew had already taken that first step of separation. Andrew had already taken that first step of choosing to be on fire for God and be out there in the front lines. He had already said, I'm moving out here. I'm going to be wild. I'm going to be rowdy. I'm going to just love God. I don't care who it upsets. And I, I was raised in, in a locality where I tease, but it was part of the country, and um, you had to be Baptist. And um, if you wanted to be Southern Baptist, you had to get permission from the governor because you were in this tight conservative thing. I wasn't saved. I didn't know God. But I lived in a household of people who were not saved. Please listen to me. But they sat in a church. And they knew the language. And they knew the acceptable behavior in public. Come on. But in home, there was none of it. And so at 14, I got a job and begged the manager of the the business to tell my parents it was mandatory that I work on Sunday. Okay, wasn't honest. But I didn't want to be in church anymore. And Andrew was a man who looked at the religious world, please listen to what I'm saying, and said, I don't want that. I don't want to be part of that. But he made a better choice than I did. And instead of saying, I want nothing to do with it, he found a man who was rowdy and loud and exciting and knew God and could preach the wallpaper off a wall and didn't mind being politically incorrect. And I want to say to you, many of you in this room have made that choice. You couldn't worship like you did tonight if you hadn't. You don't really care what anybody thinks. And you've made that choice. But you see, there are more choices. And in this new era in God, we're going to be put in a position where we're going to constantly have to make another choice. And we are in this new era with God, and God is opening doors in the spirit world in front of us like never before. 
And he's trying to get the church alive. And years ago, God woke me up in the middle of the night and he said to me, you will see the book of Acts fulfilled in your life. Rest of the sentence was, because I will not come back for a church less than the one I left. And God is putting us in positions where he's saying to us, you have to choose again. You have to choose again. You have to choose again. And we can make stops all along the journey. We can camp at our choices. We can make brief choices. Or we can keep moving. And I want you to see what happens to Andrew. And the next day, we're in verse 29. And the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which was preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he would be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And and John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it bowed upon him. (coughs) Now I want you to get what John the Baptist is saying. He was preferred before me. He existed before I did. But we know that Jesus was conceived Six months after John was. So what was he talking about? He was talking about the fact that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. I don't know what kind of encounters John the Baptist must have had with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit broke open the plan of God for John and showed John that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Show John that he was there before the earth was formed. Showed John that he was in heaven because he was God. What does John 1, 1 tell us? He was with God. He was God. And John got a revelation of the identity of who Jesus was. And he's standing there, and he's standing there with all of his disciples. Now, we have no idea how many were his disciples. But we know from some Jewish folklore and some things from Josephus that John had a a nice-sized set of followers. You know, and that tells you right away. Even though he was wild and rowdy and unacceptable, there was an anointing in his life that drew people. So my first statement to you is you have a choice in this era to do whatever you have to do to get an anointing that draws people, to get an anointing that stirs people, and sometimes get an anointing that makes people mad. You know what? If you don't get people to have some kind of reaction, you're going nowhere. You know, sometimes, I now live in New York, and since COVID, the anger is now off the chart. Now, they were never placid. You got to understand that. They were never placid. And when I first came, I spent my whole time going, They were never calm, quiet. They were, that's not who they were. And sometimes when you work with a group of people like that, you have to get them mad before you can get their attention. That's just the way it is. And so when we're out and we're saying things, if people don't get mad at you, don't get upset. Say, thank God I got their attention. Now, Holy Spirit, you've got their attention. Do what you're going to do. And so he had a group of followers. 
So now let's go down to the next set. And the next day, after John stood, and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked by, saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speaking, and they followed Jesus. This now is Andrew's second separation choice. You see, we don't know how many disciples heard John say, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What we do know is two did something about it. And in this new era with God, God's calling us to make choices that will cause us to do something with what we know. The Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, by and large, is one of the best educated churches. We have more Bibles, most of them getting dust, but we have more Bibles than any other church. And the problem with it is we have a lot of knowledge, but not necessarily a lot of action. And so what happened is that two of them went, huh, Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Been nice, John. You're great. Love everything I've learned with you. Love every spiritual experience I've had. But if that's the Lamb, <coughs> I'm following the Lamb. And they followed Jesus. And therefore, they paid a cost to identify with Jesus. First cost was separation. Separation from who they knew. Separation from what they had learned to think was the ultimate spiritual experience. Andrew's family... We're going to see it by the initial reaction by Peter. Andrew's family already thought, eh, you're, you're a little nuts. <laughs> and so now he's choosing to take the next step and to go deeper. People, I don't know you. <coughs> I don't know any of you. But God is calling you to take a step deeper. Your foliage has kicked my allergies into high gear. <coughs> We're not at this point on Long Island right now. And so there's a call on your life. Will you go deeper? And the next choice <coughs> that he made was he had to follow Jesus without an invitation. Think about that. He starts following somebody who didn't invite him to follow him. He had no idea if he was going to be accepted. He had no idea if Jesus was forming disciples. He had no idea what the future was. It was just, I got to do this. I got to go after that. <coughs> I have to find that deeper thing. And so he starts to follow him. And the two disciples followed him. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? He's now making his third choice. Years ago, God started dealing with the way I conducted the prayers at the altar. And he said to me, ask them what they want. Do not give them anything they don't ask for. And so <clears throat> there have been times at the altar where I saw X they wanted why 
and I work with them. I try to get them to X. But if they stay at Y, then all I can do is give them Y. And so in this new era, your next step of choices is to be able to articulate what do you want. Because you can't go before God and say, I don't know what I want. And Jesus is looking at those two men and he says, what seeks you? What are you after? What do you want? And I love the first response. And they said unto him, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? And Jesus said unto them, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and they bowed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Jesus looked at them and said, come on, you want to know where I live? You see, Jesus could have said, is that all you want? You just want to know where I live? He met them where they were. He said, you want to know where I live? Come on. And when he got there, they made their fourth choice. And they chose to spend the night. You see, sometimes in the body of Christ, we know where God dwells. We know he dwells in our praises. We know he dwells in worship. We know he dwells in the word. But we make a choice just like Betsy said. And sometimes we choose not to go there because we don't want what will be the ramifications of us going there. And in this new era, the stamp on this new era is transformation. It's holiness. It's dedication. And so they chose and they spent the night. The next thing is that they decided, hmm, this is the Messiah. Not because John said it, but because they dwelt with him all night. And all of a sudden, they don't don't know what to do. And so he brought them in. And they leave. And what do they do? Andrew, and from this moment on, we never hear of the second disciple. So I want you to hear me say this to you. At any point, you can come to an understanding and choose to stay at that level of understanding. It's not what God wanted for you. It may be better than where you were. But it's not where you could have been. And Andrew kicked into gear and he went and got his brother, Simon. And he sang to him, we found the Messiah. Come on, you got to come see him. Come with me. You got to come. You got to come. And he brings Peter back. Now, we never see if the other disciple ever brought anybody back to Jesus. But Andrew brought Peter. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jodah, and thou shalt be called Cephas which shall be interpreted a stone. Andrew moves his brother into a position where his brother has a name-changing encounter with God. And when I want you to hear what I'm saying, we can choose to have a name-changing encounter with Jesus and not do a thing with it. Because what we find is we're now going to finish the story 
in Luke. So turn with me to Luke, fifth chapter. And I want you to realize that in this new era, those of you that have come to a certain level in God and maybe backed up or maybe never went past that, you are on God's hit list (laughs) because you've come too far for God to give up on you. And God will now hunt you down any way he has to. We are now in Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he he stood by the lake. And he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them. They were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people out of the ship. That is such a sweet description of what happened. You see, Peter had fished all night. We're going to find out later in the story he hadn't caught a thing. He had come back to shore. He was already out of his boat. He'd already cleaned the boat. He was on shore cleaning the nets because he needed to get home, he needed to eat, and he was going to have to tell Mrs. Peter that he had no money. Now, that was not something I'm sure he looked forward to. And he knew he had to get back out on the water the next night. Now, I want you to see how beautiful this story is laid out. Jesus saw two boats. But one boat, apparently, was John and James. And John and James had not had a name-changing encounter with God. But Peter had. And so Jesus got into Peter's boat and gave Peter the opportunity to make a choice. And his choice was, after you've already cleaned your boat, after you've already been working on your nets, will you push your boat back out on the water, knowing you will have to clean it again? And it's going to take you that much longer to get home. And Jesus stepped in there and gave Peter a second chance. And in this new era, yes, there's a harvest going on, but I want you to hear me. Right now, he's brooding over the church, and he's brooding over people in the church, and he's brooding over people who've had a name-changing experience, come on, but never went forward. Never let it consume their being. Never let it take control. And so in this experience, Peter had to make a choice. Please hear me. The choice will always cost you something. And you have to be ready to pay the cost. Sometimes it's a cost of relationships. Sometimes it's a cost of being out in front of people. People that you are out there and it's like, is anybody coming with me? And that's a real big cost. Because in the beginning, it makes you think you're crazy. Come on. And so at this time, 
God is brooding over people in the church. And this is a season where God is saying, will you pay the price? And the word here, it's just so pretty. It said, and he prayed, will you push your boat out? And the word pray here means, it's so beautiful, he demanded and he begged. And I have news for you. In this new era, God's putting demands on us. Come on. But he's also begging us. Please, won't you do this? This is an era where God is saying, I don't want anybody to lose their reward for their assignment. You have a destiny. I don't want you to lose the reward for your destiny. Let's begin to move out in our destiny. And so Peter had to make a chance and take a chance and let him in the boat. Now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, I can see Simon. I can tell by the sermon that Jesus preached on the mount you know, with the blessings and that kind of thing. He, he didn't talk five minutes. We have no idea how long he spoke. And if Peter's anything like us, he's going, mm. now I got to re-clean my boat. I still have to go home. I'm just going to get home in time to go to bed. But if you have read any of the revival books, that's what happened in Wales. They'd come out of the coal mines. They'd sometimes eat, sometimes not, go straight to the church, worship, pray, listen, and sometimes didn't get out of those services until time to go back to the coal mines. And Peter made a choice. And he didn't rush Jesus, and he let rush Jesus teach. And now Jesus says, push out into the deep and put down your nets. Do you understand what he just said to him? He now said to him, you know all those nets you've got already drying in the sun? You're going to have to put them back out in the water. And then you're going to have to re-clean them. Now, Peter is a professional fisherman, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's going, you know nothing about fishing. You don't catch fish in the daytime. And so Peter is like us. I think that I love the way the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible in such an incredible way because it shows our humanity, and it shows our reactions. And we can look at it and go, yeah, I understand that. Verse 5, and Simon answering unto him said, Master, we've toiled all night, and we've not taken anything. Now, I can almost hear the tone. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> at thy word. I will let down the net. And we have a choice. And the things in God always work this way. He always asks us to do something that to us is illogical. And I want, to, I want you to be honest with yourself. How many times do you pray unknown information? And you want to help God understand something. And so you pray things that you know he just doesn't get. And Peter is praying unknown information. Listen, we were out all night. That's when you catch fish at night. We're like every other fisherman. We were out at night. 
and we caught nothing. There's nothing running. Living in New York on Long Island, I've understood now the term running. And they'll tell me, bluefish are running. And that means they're out there for the getting, and there's a whole bunch of them. And what Peter was saying nicely was, nothing's running. And then he gets that exasperated tone. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let them down. How many times do we surrender to God with that tone? And God is moving through the church. And he's saying to us, will you let go of your preconceived notions? Will you let go of your tone? Will you stop telling me how things don't work? And will you let me do what I need to do? And when they had done this, they enclosed a multitude of fish, and their net began to break. And they beckoned under their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that it began to sink. Peter is throwing the net down. He's getting all these fish. Now, I just have a picture of Jesus. And I think Jesus' eyes laughed often. And I think this was one of those moments that Jesus' eyes started laughing. Because he had said to the fish, over here. (laughs) And who knows how many of those fish were just created at that moment. We'll never know. And they were created for this purpose. Now, I can see James and John. They're on shore. Now, God called them the son of thunder. Remember them? They're the ones that wanted to call fire down from heaven. So I don't think they had the most placid of all dispositions. And I bet you when Peter launched out with the boat with Jesus, they were going, there's that nut again. Peter can never do what everybody else does. He's always shooting off his mouth. Don't we look at him as impetuous? I bet they did too. And they're thinking. I know they're thinking. Look at this crazy man. Now we're going to have to help him when he comes back. And we're going to have to help him clean the boat. We're going to have to help him clean the nets. Because he's going to make us help him. And now we're not going to get home. And now Jesus is offshore, and he's shouting, come on, come on, bring your boat, bring your net. And I can see the two guys on shore going, you've got to be kidding. You have got to be kidding. He wants us now to get our nets dirty, get our boat dirty. He wants us out there. Are you kidding me? We have a choice in this era. Will we involve others in our insanity? Will we be charismatic enough to override their view of our insanity? You see, in this new era in God, we're all going to be out there. We're all going to be out there for public display. We're all going to have to have a sense in us that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And there's got to be a draw when we're calling people out where we are. Come on. It's wonderful. Come on. There's so many good things going on. Come on. And there's got to be so much of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in us and so much power of the Holy Spirit surrounding us that people will do it. And James and John launched out on the deep. And then it said, look what happens next. 
And they filled what? Both boats. So that they began to sink. Now, years ago, God started talking to me about multiplication. And he started talking to me about he multiplies. And we had just opened the church. We were meeting in a house, and we took up an offering. And uh, God said to me, I want you to go back in the kitchen, because we were meeting in a house. And I want you to lay hands on this. We were getting it in you know, one of those little wicker baskets. And I want you to pray that I multiply it. So I want you to count it first. Pray for multiplication. So I'm taking three or four people back because I'm so stupid. I don't know what else to do but do what I hear. And so we count the money. We lay hands on it. We pray for it. We count it again, and it had doubled. And God said to me, you're going to need this for the rest of your ministry. You've got to learn I multiply things. So a few years ago, we had more people than we could handle at Thanksgiving. At that time, we just had a working poor pantry, and we had more people than we could handle. And we had cleared off the shelves. We had nothing left on the shelves but bottles of water. And so one of our young kids came up to me and said, what are we going to do? We can't feed all these people. And I said, well, you know, I was just thinking that myself. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray and God's going to multiply it. Now, he was young, so it was like if I said he was going to multiply it, okay with him. I said, so you know what we do around here? I pray first, you pray second. I prayed. The little boy said, God, you have food. God, we need food. Thanks for the food. (laughs) And he's gone. It wasn't five minutes later that one of the other team members in the MANA staff said to me, you better come to the pantry. And I walk into the pantry and all the shelves are full. Now, I went and got the little boy, and I said, see this? You prayed. He said, of course he did, and he's gone. That's it. He's gone. And I cannot tell you how many times since that moment I have stood somewhere when we were getting ready to have a giveaway, particularly when COVID was at its height and we were giving away three times a week. And I'd have 75 cars in the parking lot. Some of them had two families in them. Sometimes they had three. And I'd look at what we have, and I would say, God, you got to multiply this. We, We have to feed these people. They have nothing else. They have nowhere else to go. We have to feed these people. And you know what? I don't know how he did it. I don't care how he did it. But the boxes never went down, even though we were taking them out. And you can ask Jessica. They lived through that. They lived through going and getting a box. And there was only 10 left on the rack. And coming back, and there was still 10 left on the rack. And we've lived that way. And it's a risky way to live. Because you keep doing things, knowing that if you step, there'll be ground underneath your feet. And I want you to see what happened. When it was just Peter, his net was breaking. When he got his friends, the fish multiplied so that both boats were sinking. You have a choice in this era in God. What will you believe for? And God is asking us to expand what we'll believe for. He's asking us to expand what we know he's capable of. When I said to you this is the most exciting time to be alive, I'm not kidding. God pushes you to the end of your limits. Come on. 
and then he comes in. And it's, are you willing to go there? And Peter called him out because Peter didn't know what else to do. And look at the result. And when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. This was a man who had had a name-changing encounter with Jesus. This was a man who had already felt the power of God, but he went back to his life. Where are you in this room that you have gone back to your life? You have felt it. You've been submerged in it, but you've gone back to your life. And Peter, being confronted with all that he just saw, made a declaration of his condition. And in this new era in God, God's going to bring us up short and he's going to reveal to us our condition. And you're going to hear him putting his finger on little things, things that you didn't think mattered, but he does. And he's saying, I, you really can't do that. I'm really sorry. Or he's going to be saying to you, look, look where your faith bottomed out. He's going to be saying to you, look. Look what you used to do that you don't do anymore. And he said, depart from me. Because he couldn't contain the presence of God. And in this new era in God, <clears throat> the presence of God is going to become so intense in our services that we're not going to be able to stand in his presence. And I want to remind you, this is not a new thing. The old revivalists recorded times, and what they said was, the room was full of men and women God had slayed by his hand. He wasn't saying they were dead. He was saying they were on the floor. They were suddenly just laying everywhere on the floor. Not They didn't intend to do that. It wasn't on their agenda. There wasn't a part in the bulletin that said everybody gets on the floor now. The Spirit of God was so intense in the meetings that they, the phrase became common. The slain of the Lord were many. And we're coming into that state again where the intensity of God is going to be so great that we're going to have to face who we are. We're going to have to face who he is. And we're going to have to come to realize he's inside of us. Before I came to know Jesus, I was a good heathen. I really was. I, I did it well. And I got saved. And what did I know? I tried to go back to my life. And one day, the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of me said, you know, I have to go wherever you do. And I don't want to go there. And it was the beginning of a life change for me. I don't want to go there. I'm asking you, do you realize everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you, the Holy Spirit goes with you? Everything you watch on TV, they're watching. Everything they hear you say, they endure. Come on. And in this era in God, God is going to make us so aware that he goes with us everywhere that he watches everything we watch. 
that he hears every thought we think. And he's going to be asking us, do you think I want to be here? Do you think I want to do that? Do you think I would think that way? And he's going to cause us to bring our thoughts into captivity so that we can move forward in him. And we're going to see something that came through the church years ago, but it went into legalism. And that was a holiness that the church had, but it got wrapped up in the way you look and the way you dress and the way your hair is. And Satan doesn't care how he steals things. He just knows if it makes you powerful in God, he wants to steal it. And he stole holiness from the church. He stole sanctification from the church. And it slipped over here into this weird thing where if you were sanctified, you never sinned again. And so the body threw it out. Instead of bring correction, they threw it out. I wasn't in the body. So I can read some of this stuff and go, well, now, why didn't you just correct it? Why did you not throw it out? Come on. But we threw it out. And God's going to start bringing us back into that kind of holiness that's not legislated. But he's going to make us aware that we love him so much we wouldn't put him there. That's just the way it is. And when you look at the words in the Greek where it said, and they, re they feared God. That's not what it says. It says they reverenced him with deep love. And when we reverence with deep love, it alters what we do, not because there's a rule about it, but because we love him too much to subject him to that. And I want you to see the next step. And he was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so also James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners of Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. All of a sudden, He's in a position where he allowed his fear and his amazement to turn to worship. And what does it say? He fell down in front of Jesus. He allowed it to go to worship. And now he makes his next decision. He decides he's not going to fish anymore. And he's going to learn to be a fisher of men. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't tell him what that's going to entail? Jesus doesn't tell him how his life was going to change. Jesus didn't tell him. You're going to be the main person in the first church. God didn't tell him that. He just said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we've got to come to a point where we're willing to make a choice that we don't know where we're going. We just know we have to go there. And I want you to see what happens in that last verse. And when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You see, Peter's choice released John to make a choice. 
released James to make a choice. And all three of them walked out of the fishing business forever. One choice from you may take two other people with you. May take four other people from you. May take five other people with you. But in this new era, when we make choices, we're going to get to a point where we're not making them just for us. There's going to be people that will respond to the choice we make and say, I I can do that. If you can do that, I can do that. And we're going to see a massive switch in the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to look at a man who, after acknowledging his real state, didn't stay there. It's the truth of there is now, therefore, no condemnation. With repentance and confession, there is forgiveness. And God doesn't remind you anymore. There's a song that plays a lot on Kalo. Shame, you're not welcome here anymore. And we've got to get to the point where we realize when we once confess, it's over. It's done. When we make the following choices to stay that way, it stays that way. But there's a principle here. And the principle is in the book of Hebrews. Verse starts out and says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then it says, you must first believe that he is. And second of all, you must believe he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when You work up the word rewarder. It means payer of wages. And I want you to see, Peter gave Jesus his boat. There was a double draught of fish. But then there was an opportunity to move out in an experience with God that would change them forever. And where we are in the body of Christ is God is coming to individual after individual after individual. Some of you may be where Andrew was. Some of you may be where the other disciple was of John's who made a choice, didn't make the second one, and was never heard of again. You may be in a position with Peter. You made a choice. You had an encounter. You knew who God was. But you went back to your life. You may be on the beach saying, I don't have time for this. Come on. I can't afford this. And God comes into your life and he gives you another choice. And one of the things that God has been saying to me in this era is God has marked people. People that have had encounters with him. People that have gone a ways with him. And in the front part of this era, he's now saying, I'm hunting you. I want to pick you up and I want to take you further than you've ever been. There are others that he's looking at and he's saying, I want to give you a chance to make four-step choices the first time we meet. James and John got a chance to make a four-step jump the first time they met him. And you're going to see rapid growth in this new era. You're going to see rapid attitude change in this new era. It just takes us being willing to say, I will make the right choices. And I I don't know, Pastor, would you like to do the altar call? You want me to? Okay. Deanna, would you come?
And I don't know any of the worship team that normally comes with her. That's great. But where we are tonight is God brought me here to say to you, are you willing to make another choice? Wherever you are in God, will you make the next choice, no matter what it costs you? For some of you, it may cost you taking all of your plans and putting them aside and hearing his plans for you. Some of you, it may mean, will you step out of the shadows and will you be radical? For some of you, it may mean, will you give up your walk in Jesus the way you know it today, the way you're comfortable with it today, and step somewhere with him you've never been, that you may not be able to explain to anybody, that people may look at you and say, you've lost your mind. But this is what I promise you. They may think you've lost your mind, But when you get into that river and you make those choices, their opinion will no longer matter to you. Because what God pours into you is so much greater than what you got from their acceptance that you'll look at it and go, huh. I don't even miss that because of what God gives you inside. So I just want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to split this altar call up. If you are sick, because you see, you sang that song tonight. This is a house of healing. I know one thing from just stepping in here as I cross the threshold. You are a people that believe in the supernatural. If you are sick, you don't need to go home that way. It's on that side. But if you are saying, I've got to make some choices. I've got to make some decisions. There came a day When I had to make a choice, and the choice was, was I going to continue in a job where I made so much money and I had so much reputation? And would I go into the ministry not knowing what that meant? Sometimes we make costly choices. But on this side of that decision, I wouldn't go back and undo that decision for anything in the world. Because what God has poured into me is far better than the vast amount of money I was making. He rattled my cage with a question. I'm going to rattle somebody's cage tonight with the same question. I was a therapist on a child abuse team. And one day God said to me, if your mind could heal every client you have, And if your mind could get them free from every drug and every drop of alcohol they drink, and if your mind could get them to a point where they never abused or molested another child, but you didn't teach them how to die, what good are you? 
It's a riveting question. But in the body of Christ, God's asking us, if you don't step out there, and if you don't teach people how to die, what good are you? And this is a riveting moment. And there's somebody here who that question was specifically for because you have things in your life you could do. But if you do them and you don't teach people how to die, what good is it? We have the opportunity to teach people how to miss hell. We have an opportunity to teach people how to come into a relationship that will free them from every hurt and every wound and every family line iniquity and every oppressive spirit they've ever come in contact with. It is the most awesome opportunity ever given people. And Jesus said, will you be fishers of men? So tonight, if you're making a statement and you're saying, I'm going to choose to go further in God than I'm in today, I'm going to make costly choices. Please don't walk down this aisle because somebody else is. Please don't walk down this aisle because somebody's watching, because nobody but you is going to have to live this out. But if you're saying, I want to make that choice, I want to go from where I am to the next step, no matter what it costs me, you come. The altars are open. I want the team to come. We've worked with each other all weekend. Come on, guys. Healing's over here, choice is over here.